I want God to show up. I don't know about you guys, but I want God to show up. Now look, we as Christians understand a couple of things about the presence of God. God is always present everywhere. It's what we call the omnipresence of God. But there is a difference between his omnipresence and his manifest presence. When he shows up in ways and things begin to change and we begin to know that he is here, feel that he is here, interact with his presence in our lives in brand new and powerful ways. I want God to show up in powerful ways. We're beginning a series this morning on renewal. We're talking about spiritual renewal. This has been and stuff that I've been reading for a while now, things I've been listening to. It's just jumped out of me in Scripture. And so I am excited over the next few weeks to just kind of open up this topic and open up this series and talk about spiritual renewal. This morning we're in Psalm chapter 40, but we're going to spend the bulk of our time in this series in the Old Testament book of Haggai. Okay, now I'm telling you that now to give you guys an entire week to find the book of Haggai in your Bibles. If it's of any help to you at all, it's between Zephaniah and Zechariah. Sandwiched right in between those very popular devotional books I know most of us spend a lot of our time in. The reason we're going to spend a lot of our time in the book of Haggai is that Haggai is a prophet who speaks for God at a time when God is literally rebuilding his people, rebuilding his city, rebuilding his temple, rebuilding uh, worship, rebuilding a culture that is built around the spirit and the word of the Lord. And Haggai comes and encourages the people of God to move forward in the presence and in the power of God. Spiritual renewal. So guys, I'm interested in our renewal. I'm interested in our renewal individually. Our personal sense of my need for God. Is that boiling inside of me somewhere? Is there something inside of me that that tells me from time to time I need more of God? God actually showing up inside of our lives in in new and in powerful ways in the sense and the work of His presence growing stronger. I'm interested in our individual spiritual renewal. I'm interested in our corporate renewal. As a church, as we follow Jesus Christ, what it means for us to pursue Him, to find Him, to walk in an awakening of His presence. I'm going to use the word renewal through this series. But sometimes we use words like awakening or revival for exactly the same kind of thing. What does that mean for us as a body of believers? And then, guys, there are these times throughout history when God in His sovereign will and in His sovereign power just simply decides to pour out His Spirit on the rest of culture as well. And there is a sweeping of spiritual renewal around us and around His church. What does that look like? How can we pray for that? How can we pursue that? How can we be a part of that? I'm interested in our renewal. I'm going to give us a little definition here of renewal. We won't dig into it deeply today, but it's going to be the kind of thing that's going to help guide our thoughts through this series. And we'll come back to these thoughts throughout what we're going to talk about on Sunday mornings. Renewal is this. It is the experience of being realigned with God's presence. It is the resumption of our God-given purpose 
to know him intimately and partner with him fully, participating in his plan to flood the world with his presence. Talk about what it means to be renewed in the presence and in the power of God. So this morning we're in Psalm chapter 40 because I want to lay some groundwork for this issue. A lot of the ideas that come up this morning, we won't get a chance to to dig in in depth because they'll be the things that return to us through this series when we get to talk about them a little bit more fully. But we're going to introduce the idea, the issue, through what happens in Psalm chapter 40. Well, what happens in Psalm chapter 40? A few of our ideas this morning are this. David has faced evil, and he responds to it by waiting for God to show up. Now, that's by itself a fascinating train of events. He faces legitimate evil. He knows it in the world around him, and his response is to wait upon the Lord. So what does it mean to wait? How do we wait well And in what we read this morning, David will actually provide us some very specific information about what it means for the child of God to wait on God. It's not passive. There's nothing passive about it. David's crisis turned him toward God. We're going to learn throughout this series, and especially this morning, that how we respond to crisis, to transition, to trouble, to the sense that something is wrong in the world around us, how we respond to that will determine what happens next. And if we respond well to it, we can actually make our way toward the renewal of Jesus Christ. So David's crisis turns him toward God. And so what we find in Psalm chapter 40 is renewal amidst crisis. The problem that David was facing, as we read through that chapter, we will discover It's just not fully resolved. After all, when when does that actually really happen? But the the great big things going on around us that are going wrong, when are those ever fully resolved? His issue is not fully resolved. But David says, I have found a new song to sing. I have found hope in the presence of the Lord. He finds renewal even in the midst of his crisis. So in Psalm chapter 40, let's read a little bit of this. The first three verses, David says this. If you read the Psalms a lot, these three verses are maybe familiar, but they're just absolutely beautiful. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. What David goes through, what he reveals in Psalm 40 and a couple of other psalms right around this chapter is a pattern, and it's a pattern I want us to try to understand when we talk about what it means to walk through the kinds of things that David walked through, to do it well, and to find the presence of God, to find actual renewal. And the pattern goes like this. These are the three words that I'm going to use this morning. Crisis, process, and renewal. Now, I use the word crisis here in a pretty broad sense. Now, this can mean crisis, actual crisis that we face inside of our lives. And many of us could tell those kinds of story. 
the kinds of things that fall into our lives that just turn everything upside down and we don't know what to do next. It can mean that kind of crisis moment. It can mean some form of transition or trial or difficulty or dilemma or maybe even the sense that God places upon your heart that things in this world just aren't right and something needs to change. That thing inside of us that faces an issue, a problem, a crisis, and knows that something needs to change. So we talk about crisis, and then we talk about process, our response to that crisis. What do we do with that? How do we approach God? What, what, how do we walk through this world? What do we do with the presence of God, the things of God? What is the process we then go through? And then renewal. How do we find renewal in this pattern of crisis, process, and renewal? A little bit later on in this series, we're going to talk about this phrase, this phrase, I love this phrase. We're going to call it holy dissatisfaction. Because there's something of holy dissatisfaction that sits in your heart and says something has to change. God has to show up. Crisis process renewal. And David faced difficulty. He did specifically, and that's what these chapters are about around Psalm chapter 40. And for David, it was actually twofold, the kind of crisis that he faced. David actually had enemies around him who were trying to destroy him. He actually had enemies who had the capability of taking his life or taking the throne from him. So he had people on the outside of his circles trying to make their way in and destroy him. He faced that kind of crisis. David also recognizes another kind of crisis. He says, the things that were wrong inside of me are coming back upon me. He recognizes the crisis of his own sin and of his own brokenness. If we skip ahead a few verses into Psalm chapter 40, verse 12, David says this, For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. This is how he feels. It's just so thick around me, it's like I can't see anything else. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails me. David knows his crisis. He sees it. He can identify it. He can pinpoint it. He can name it. And he takes that crisis before God with as overwhelming as it is. He takes this crisis, this issue, before God. Now, this is important. Do we know our crisis? Can we identify it? Can we put a name on it? Do we understand well how our own iniquities can overtake us? Do we understand well those who are sort of around the walls of the church, so to speak, and, and controlled by the kingdom of this world and our enemy, and something is wrong and needs to be changed? Can we name it? Can we pinpoint it? Do we know what's actually going on? So David's reaction to all of this absolutely critical for us this morning. To whom will he turn? What will he do? What will he decide is important for him as a child of God? Will he endure through this kind of season? Will he remain faithful to God or choose a different way of life because of what faces him? And the ultimate outcome of his decision to wait on the Lord is that his need is met by his God. This notion of crisis and his decision to wait on the Lord. That first phrase of Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently upon the Lord. Keep that in mind. I want us to flip back a couple pages 
and go to Psalm chapter 37. There's a couple things I want to pick up here. Psalm 37 actually begins a theme that spans chapters 37, 38, 39, and then into 40 as well. So when we get to chapter 40, if you've read through these chapters in a row, you kind of feel the sense of what David is dealing with. And chapter 40 ends up as being a kind of resolution to the problem that is raised before us in Psalm chapter 37. He's going to talk about how we are. He is surrounded by wickedness, but we will instead turn to our God. So listen to how he puts it in Psalm 37. We'll read just a few verses of this magnificent chapter. Psalm 37 verses 1 and 2 go like this. Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Who needs that piece of advice? The person who feels the overwhelming influence of what? Of wickedness, of something's wrong. There really is some genuine difficulty, problem, issue that we face. That person needs this advice. Fret not because of evildoers. I know that wickedness seems to be expanding and have power, but remember this. It will all go away like the grass in the fall. It will wither. Keep your eyes on God. Skip over a couple more verses as we continue to kind of hear this in Psalm 37, verses 12 through 15. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy and slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. This is awareness of the wickedness around us. Are we aware of it? David's aware of it. He can name it. He can bring it before God in the presence of God. So we need to be able to name it. We should learn how to name it, identify it, and bring it to God well. And this is the sense inside of this chapter, right, that often it feels as if wickedness gains the upper hand. It is the wicked who seem to find power and wealth and influence. It is wickedness that does the evil in this world and blames that evil on the innocent. How does that happen? Well, this is how wickedness works. He sees it. He recognizes it. But his perspective is not controlled by it. Guys, this is critical. He can see it. He knows it's real. He feels its pain. He watches its effects around him. But his perspective is not controlled by that. Look at these stanzas again between chapters or verses 12 and 15. The first half essentially says this. They're everywhere, and they plot against the innocent. I don't know what we're going to do. The wicked plot against the, upright, against the righteous, and they gnash their teeth at them. But that's not his perspective. His perspective is, but the Lord laughs at them. And God knows that their day is coming. Is that how I am going to see things? The next thing he says is this. I, lo- I love this kind of thought in the Psalms. They draw their sword to slay the wicked. They bend their bow to fire their arrows. 
at the children of God. And what happens? As they draw their sword, they tumble and fall, and the sword goes straight through their own heart. <laughs> they pull back their bow, and what happens to the bow? It snaps in half. This is the perspective of the child of God. So David sees it. He describes it. But he also gives us in chapter 37, he gives us a process. He gives us a process to go through when we wait upon God. So in chapter 37, go back to verse 3 really quick. We're going to read a few verses here. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the way, the one who, pro- the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourselves for the third time in eight verses. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Here's his prescription. The process that David says the children of God go through when they face crisis, when they know that something is wrong and God has to show up. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Befriend faithfulness. Love endurance, this faithfulness toward God. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Be still before the Lord. Refrain from anger. This is the activity of the child of God pursuing the presence and the power of God. That's a powerful list of things to do. This is what it means to wait on God. See, this is active. This involves everything about us. This consumes our lives when we read a list like this and we think, I'm going to do this. I'm going to engage in this. Somehow, by the grace and the presence of God, this is what I will do to find the renewal of the Spirit of God. I love that list. So, guys, our reaction to the crisis will determine whether we find renewal. And as we walk through this, guys, we... We can, make some, we can make several choices in the crisis. We can make several choices in the confusion. We really can choose the way of the world. We really can choose the way of the wicked. After all, even as David tells us here and in several other psalms, it appears as if the wicked just have the upper hand. It appears as if they have all of the earthly wealth and influence on their side. We really do have the option of trying to move forward in this life without the presence of the Lord. The world has said, this is how you do it. Come and follow us. We really can choose the way of the world. Another choice that we can make is to despair. This isn't giving in to the way of the world. This is just giving in. This is, this, this is despairing of all hope. 
despairing of the presence of God ever actually showing up again. This is despair. One of the things we're going to get to do throughout this series is that we're going to tell stories of the awakenings. When God shows up, how it happens, when it happens, through whom it happens. And these are really some cool stories. One of the things that we're going to discover over and over and over again is that when things are the darkest, God just shows up. When people are writing, when pastors and theologians are writing about the power of evil around them, God shows up. We can't choose despair, but we can choose the way of the Lord. Now go back to Psalm chapter 40. Let's pick up the rest of what David says and think through some of this, especially in light of what we just read in Psalm chapter 37. In Psalm 37, we read it. David says, here's what you need to do. You need to wait on the Lord. A little bit later on in that same chapter, Psalm 37, verse 34, he says, wait on the Lord and keep his way. That's the advice he's giving to you and me as we begin to walk through this. Psalm chapter 40 Those first words, I waited patiently on the Lord. This is the outcome. This is the other side of that. It's absolutely beautiful. And in the English, that first phrase is, I waited patiently for the Lord. And that's that's a beautiful little line. The sense in the Hebrew is, I waited, and I waited, and I waited. The next line says, and and he inclined himself to me, and he heard my cry. And again, the English picks up a little bit of the sense of the Hebrew. The Hebrew literally says, he bent all the way down to me and found me. This is what God does. You see, guys, when we choose God, instead of despair, instead of the way of the world, God shows up. And we will go, as the psalmist says, from the pit of destruction to being put on a rock, a place where our steps are now secure. It's as if the psalmist is saying, I was sunk to my waist in mud. I could not get out. Nobody could pull me out. I cried to the Lord, and he bent all the way down and grabbed me and picked me up. And he's the one who put me upon a rock. And there is a way in which you and I can pursue God, even in the darkest of times, that becomes a witness to everyone around us. Look at those last thoughts there in verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God, and many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. What if our decision put our trust in God? What if our decision to wait on Him, what if our decision to pursue Him became a light to everyone around us? What if it became courage to our brothers and sisters in Christ around us? I know what they're going through, and I know how hard it is, but their eyes are on Christ, and I'm going to follow that path. Many will see and fear and put their trust in in the Lord. This is renewal. This is revival. This is people coming to faith in Jesus Christ because of the presence of His Spirit amongst His people. 
Let's keep reading in verse four in chapter forty, beginning in verse four. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. It's a cool little phrase. You have dug an ear for me so that I can hear you. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is written in my heart. Blesses the man whose trust is in the Lord. Instead of following the way of the wicked, the proud, those who go after a lie, blessed is the one who chooses to trust in God instead. You see, guys, the decision to trust God is also the decision to not go after the lie of the proud, to not go after the lie of unrighteousness or wickedness. And this is the lie that is the promise of life without God. And look, guys, this is a really big deal. Christians have faced this one way or another for 2,000 years. Followers of God have faced this as long as Scripture has been written. The world promises one way of life without God and tries to draw the people of God into that way of life. The people of God are learning a way of life that is only possible because of the presence of God, and we're trying to draw others into that way of life. So our culture really does offer a way of life without God. And that way of life is full of promises of meaning and fulfillment and provision. There really is even a godless version of salvation that's available to any one of us for five easy payments of $59.95, right? The ways of progress without the presence of God, they really are attractive. And they really are influential. You see, guys, the way the human heart is built, we want to find utopia or purpose or meaning or perfection, but we don't want to submit ourselves to God. So any scheme that says you can have all of those things without God becomes very attractive to us. And it often appears to our human sinful eyes that God was wrong all along and they were right. One author, one pastor author by the name of Mark Sayers calls it the promise of progress without presence. The promise of progress without the presence of God. It's out there. But you see, this is where we make the critical decisions followers of Jesus Christ. The way we process these kinds of options either lead us to despair or to spiritual decay, or they can lead us then to spiritual renewal. If we choose the status quo, if we choose to walk the other direction, we fall into a pathway that leads away from the renewal of the Spirit of God. Throughout this series, I'm going to be giving you guys things that, that I'm starting to call renewal principles, the ways in which spiritual renewal works. And here's one of these thoughts. Renewal is never found in paying less attention to God. You're not going to find it if you pay less attention to God than you are right now. Renewal is never found 
in holding on more loosely to the truths of God and embracing falsehood. You will never find spiritual renewal there. So it is critical that we go through the process well in order to find the Spirit of God. David says at the end of that section that we just read, when things are still going wrong around him, while that crisis still exists, David can say, I delight to do your will. This is a transformed heart, a transformed mind, a transformed life that has become transfixed on the beauty of the kingdom of God. No matter what is offered to him or goes on around him or comes out of him in his sin, he says, what I want to do is the things of God. I delight to do the will of God. It's a powerful thing in a moment like this. Now look at verses 9 and 10. He doubles down on a thought that he mentioned briefly earlier on in the chapter. He says this, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. The trusting disciple learns to bear witness to the good things of God. Now look, the enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ may not want to hear it. The enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ may put up smoke screens around those who need to hear it. The enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ might even find ways to make it difficult for us to actually speak it. But here's what happens to the psalmist's heart. I can't not say it. I can't not speak it. Did you notice all of that, that sort of not language in those verses? I have not shut my mouth. I have not held silent. But instead, I have spoken. I have spoken. I have spoken. I've gotten to know my God. And I'm going to tell everybody about it. This reminded me of a passage in the prophet Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah is fascinating. We get as much biographical information about Jeremiah as we do as pretty much any other prophet in the Old Testament. And Jeremiah is given the word of God to speak to the people of God. And the catch is that nobody wants to hear what Jeremiah has to say. Isn't that glorious? And so Jeremiah just, just gets blowback every time he opens his mouth. At one point, as a matter of fact, his hometown and his family conspire to kill him when he comes back home. Jeremiah learns of these things. And he goes to God and he complains. It's incredible. He says, I, I can't believe, I, I want to hold silent, but I, but I can't. And, this, this, and it's in that context that this sometimes famous statement of Jeremiah's shows up. It's in the middle of one of these complaints. Listen to this in Jeremiah 20, verse 9. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire. Shut up in my I'm weary of holding it in, and I can't anymore. I have to talk about the things of God. We will need to learn new ways to speak it. We never change the changeless truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the wise Christian, the wise church, 
We'll learn how to find where people are culturally and emotionally and intellectually and learn how to speak the gospel into that context. One of the other things that we learn with renewals when God shows up in unique ways is that renewal always results in mission. The world's largest Protestant missions organization began with revival amongst some of the unlikeliest people possible. And 100 years later, it is the world's largest Protestant mission organization. Renewal always results in mission. Verses 11 and 12, we read a little bit of this earlier on. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails me. All of the trials are still there. Those that come from within him, the result of his own sin and iniquity, those that are coming from without, all of them are still there. But this is one of the signals of renewal that we're reading. The spiritual strength that God has given David, his child. It is the assurance that the Lord will never withhold his mercy from his child. So here's another principle when it comes to renewal. Renewal doesn't happen when trials disappear. It happens when God shows up. It doesn't happen when everything is finally perfect and in order. Everything is going so well. That's the line in the movie where you hit the second act and everything falls apart. Renewal doesn't happen when the trial disappears. It happens when a God who is so much greater than all those trials just shows up. So here's how David finishes these thoughts in chapter 40. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O Lord. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. A reminder of this scheme. Crisis, process, and renewal. The crisis faced, the dilemma, the trouble. We discover that it just wasn't enough to silence the power and the presence of God in the life of His child. And as a matter of fact, and this is a doozy of a truth, it was the tool that God used to drive his disciple closer into his presence. God used it to pull David closer to him. What is it about crisis? What is it about difficulty? That if we go through it well, God can actually use it to pull us nearer to him. 
It seems counterintuitive, but it is a profound truth. The process itself was right. God's child met this difficulty, both what was within him and what was coming from the outside. He met it with a deeper pursuit of God. We read some of this in 37, and we watch it manifest in chapter 40. There's trust in God instead of skepticism and distance. There is delight in God instead of anger or doubt. There's the loving of God's moral standard, His faithfulness, instead of the loving of sin. There is commitment to God instead of just marking time through this life. There is stillness before God instead of frenetic, anxious activity. And there is refusal to fear instead of giving in to despair. And so spiritual renewal becomes real for this child of God. God shows up. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. And notice again that when God shows up, wickedness is confounded. The wickedness within me, my sin will be forgiven. I will cease to be a slave of sin, and I will become a willing and delighted follower of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want that. I want sin to be confounded. My sin forgiven. I now belong to God instead of to sin. And I want to walk through life no matter what happens as someone who can say, I delight to do the will of God. Sin around us is confounded. The emptiness of the idols of our age can be revealed for what they truly are and lives really can be changed. Do you want this? I want this. We need this. But may all who seek you, he says, Rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and I am needy. Guys, those who seek the Lord, Scripture is clear on this. Those who seek the Lord will be satisfied. They will be made glad. They will learn to rejoice in their salvation. In Moses' last sermon to his people, the people of God, the book of Deuteronomy, he's trying to encourage the people of God to stay focused on God. They're going to face trials. They're going to have to conquer the promised land. They've been rebellious. An entire generation of people we've buried in the desert. You're going to go forward, and I'm going to need you to do this. Here's part of what he says in Deuteronomy 4, verse 29. But from there, speaking of the promised land, you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. This seeking has a very specific shape to it. And I'm going to finish with these three final thoughts that David finishes with relatively quickly. And again, guys, a lot of this stuff we're going to continue to talk about. This seeking has a specific shape to it. I recognize my need of it. I recognize that I am poor and needy. Guys, I can't come to God seeking His renewal and the work of His Spirit unless I recognize my complete need of Him over and over 
and over again. So guys, look, renewal never arises from a position of complacency or pride. It will never come from that place. But only a proper humility before God will create what the psalmist describes. So I know my need of it. Renewal brings the joy of my salvation. What a cool phrase. What a great phrase. I find the joy of my salvation when I finally realize that my need can only be met by my God and He's met it. There's a need I can't fix that only God can fix and He's done it and He's given it to someone like me. This is the joy of my salvation. So renewal brings the joy of my salvation. Renewal brings an unstoppable sense of the greatness of God. Something inside of me will always be ready to talk about how great my God is. Something inside of me will be consumed by this. We'll want to meet with other Christians to talk about it. We'll want to talk to other people who need to know Jesus about how great my God is. We'll want to sing about it. We'll want to fellowship about it. We'll want to read about it. Something inside of me will always want to say, my God is great. Let's pray. Thank <laughs> you.